Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. We'll be going through this chapter of Lamentations, the longest chapter in Lamentations tonight. But before we do, we have an email prayer request prayer chain at our church. If you have something you want prayed for, you can instantly have over 80 people praying for your prayer requests. Or if you want to be part of the people who pray, you can get involved in that ministry as well, both by emailing Mrs. Or, uh, Teresa at Mrs. Turin at gmail.com. Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay, I got it. I say it every week and all of a sudden just went brain dead. Mrs. Turn at gmail.com. And what we do is we pray for them when they come across the prayer chain. We gather them together one last time on Thursday night. And so we'll be praying for them right now. First that came across was Jerry Heilig. He asked for prayer for Carl Johnson. Carl was in our video ministry. He's been around our church before we came on this property. So in the early 2000s. Anyway, he had an infection and a heart issue that he had been dealing with. They thought he was going to have to have open heart surgery, but the Lord intervened and um, he has been released from the hospital and he told me yesterday that he was going back to work today. So um, anyway, just pray what God's doing in Carl's literal heart. (laughs) Also, uh, Jerry, his friend Karen fell and broke three ribs and so asked for prayer for Karen. Penny asked for prayer for her friend Andrew. He's dealing with drug addiction and he's going into rehab. So she just asked, praying that God would do a work in his life. Jeff Ferrazano asked for prayer. I believe this was last Saturday. One of his printing press, he's a, he owns a printing shop. One of his printing presses was down and he asked for prayer for that. And it did go up, uh, go back online later on that evening. Uh, Sean and Teresa asked for prayer for Sean's mother, Kathy. They've been going through, she's been dealing with an infection and quite a few other things. And she has been released from the hospital and she's doing much better. Kim and Madeline Heron asked for prayer for Madeline's uncle, Eugene. He has since gone, passed on. They're not sure of his salvation, so just pray that there's opportunity to share the Lord during this time. Joanne Kilsmeyer asked for her prayer for her niece's son, Payson. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Payson. He's 10 months old. He had been vomiting for over two weeks, and it was pretty serious. Um, He's doing a lot better now, so God's been answering quite a few prayers. Uh, Dwight told me um, this just before service. He did put it on the prayer chain, but I don't think it's come across yet. His son, Tim, was down at the beach with his family, Tim dove into the water and hit a rock, hit his head on a rock, which he's okay. Um, but they put him in a neck brace, uh, neck brace and brought him to Hogue Hospital. And uh, just before service, Dwight gave me the thumbs up. So he's, he's doing okay. Um, he, you know, the main thought is broken neck and all. He was able to move his extremities and all the whole time. And so uh, they just took him to the hospital, I believe, more of a precautionary measure than anything else. Don't dive into unknown water. Just don't do it. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Anyway, let's go ahead and pray for these one last time. Father, we do lift up these requests, and we just thank you, Lord, that people have entrusted us with these things, with these requests that are just so precious. And I pray, Father, that we would truly understand the responsibility of it all. And I thank you, Lord, that you have done a work in Carl's literal heart, that, Father, we thank you that that valve replacement was not necessary. I believe the infection, you have the MRSA virus or something along those lines, but I, you have dealt with that, and I thank you that he has been released 
released from the hospital and even able to go back to work. So pray that you would bring him to a full healing and full strength. Lord, I lift up Jerry's friend Karen, and I pray, Lord, that her ribs would heal quickly, Lord, and you would restore her back to full health as well. I pray for Penny's friend, Andrew, and I just pray with this addiction that he's dealing with, that you would strengthen him and that you would enable him, Lord, to do the things that is necessary, that you would deliver him from this it's just this demonic addiction, which is so hard. And I just pray as he's going through rehab and detox and all of that, that you would eradicate that from his body. And Father, just make him as new. Lord, I thank you for Jeff that he called here for his printing press issue. And Lord, you remedied it, remedied it and he's able to move on. I pray for Sean's mother that you would continually strengthen her and that, Father, she would be completely over this infection. I know that she, she did receive a healing from it, but then it came back. And so just pray, Father, that you would bring her to a full healing. I lift up Kim and Madeline and pray, Father, for the opportunity that they would have during Madeline's uncle's funeral and just pray that they would display the love of Christ to this family as they go through this hard time. I thank you, Lord, that you've delivered Payson from this vomiting and dehydration and all and pray that you would strengthen him daily, that he would put on weight and that he would be... um, just prepared to move on from here. I pray for the family as well, that you would minister to their hearts. And Lord, lastly, I thank you for Tim, that he was not hurt, and just pray, Father, that he would exercise wisdom. But Lord, I I just thank you, Father, that you kept him from any long-term injuries and and so on. And I just pray that, Lord, uh, you just gather wisdom, Lord, and just move on raising his family, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would enable him Father, to glorify you even through this. And so we lift them up to you as well as the others and just pray, Father, you just continue to move in the lives of your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3. Again, Lamentations is an alphabetic acrostic where each verse starts with a um, progressive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We have a little bit of change from that, not that it makes any difference from our study because I don't teach in Hebrew, I teach in English, although sometimes it's hard to understand my English. But nonetheless, um, in, in this particular chapter, every third verse, uh, is, every three verses is of uh, a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why there's three times more verses in this chapter than the other chapters. The gospel that we preach, the word of God that we speak, will bring salvation to some souls, but it will also be the basis of judgment for others. And I'd have to ask, does this disturb you? Does this disturb you in a good way in that you have the opportunity to preach salvation into the lives of some, but also disturb you that there is going to be some who refuse the message and Well, you have a relationship with some people who are going to stand before the Lord in judgment, and that ought to break our heart as well. We see a picture of this in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It says, Then the voice, this is the apostle John writing, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. 
And the idea here is, is the word of God that we speak, we consume it, and as we give it, it'll be as honey in our mouths to those who receive it and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there's going to be that bitterness in our, in our stomach. There's going to be that sadness in our soul because there are going to be some people who refuse it and are even contrary to it. Just as we rejoice in the truths of God's Word as the work that He's done in our life, it's the basis for what we're studying on Sunday nights as we're going through Psalm 119. It's it's also the hard truths that can be difficult for our soul to bear, understanding the judgment that is to come upon all unbelievers. The sweetness of this book, it lies in the facts that we have been delivered from the judgment of God by the grace of God for all of eternity. It's sweet that God loves man to such a degree that he's willing to give him every opportunity to accept God's plan of salvation. And the word of God is sweet in the mouth of his children because it's what God uses to save souls. And so we should rejoice in the sweetness of this book. I mean, have you ever sat down and had a meal than than dessert? And, and you're so, look, or, or maybe you just push the meal aside and you're just focused upon dessert. Not that I've ever done that, but you, you just look at that and you're just such an attractant to it and you just can't wait. I mean, we've gone to certain restaurants where I know the desserts that they have. And uh, there's few restaurants that you know exactly the dessert you're going to have even before you know the meal you're going to eat. And you're just so looking forward to that. And that should be how the Word of God is in our lives as we open it up in the morning as we seek God out through His Word. In Psalm 19, verse 9 through 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The word of God to us, sweeter than honey. So where does the bitterness come? Well, again, in the knowledge that there will be those who will not eat of this book. It'll be something that is repulsive to them. As I'm sitting there eating my desserts, as I'm sitting there eating my tiramisu, I'll ask my, you want a bite? This is good. And when she says, yes, I don't give her one and tell her, get your own term. No, you, you want people to enjoy that which you enjoy as well. Well, how much more so relationship with the Lord? And again, there are people in our lives who could be going through the tribulation. There's definitely people in our lives who will stand before a holy God in the terror of the Lord, understanding their guilt and remembering the days that the gospel was shared with them and they refused it. It's not going to be your fault. You're not going to even mourn in heaven for them because there's no tears in heaven. But nonetheless, as far as today, it should break our heart, but it should also motivate our spirit because, again, it's never over until it's over, and it's not over. It's As long as man is able to draw breath, he's able to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So it's with this conflict in his spirit that we come to chapter 3 and we see a suffering prophet. More than likely, it's just in the more I read Lamentations, it lines up with Jeremiah's life. But again, the Bible doesn't tell us that it is Jeremiah. But still, we just see the person. What is the prophet? The prophet is the one who delivers the word of God. And we see this man who understands the repercussions for those who refuse the word of God. Children's ministry right now, they're in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And they're looking at how Israel refused God. Remember, 
God told them that I want to rule over you through my word, using judges to make determinations as what is proper and what is right for society. But what did Israel do? They came to that point where we want a king. All of the other people, all the other nations have kings. We want a king as well. What was the problem? They could no longer walk by faith. They wanted to walk by sight. They wanted to see a man on a throne rather than have God through faith rule them. And we're told later on in chapter 8 that God told the prophet, don't worry about it. They didn't refuse you. They've refused me. Man refuses God to his own detriment. And so again, we see the suffering prophet keeping in mind, he's not suffering for salvation. That's a work of Jesus Christ. But he is suffering for the lack of the salvation of his people as he realizes the destruction that is to come upon them. So the first thing that we're going to see in verses 1 through 18 is a cry of desperation. Now, it's one thing to be caught off guard by a sudden calamity, not knowing that it's coming and then all of a sudden it's upon you, and that can be traumatic, but it's quite another to know it's coming and to have time to think about it. It's the difference between California and the Midwest. And what I mean by that, disaster, the common disaster of the Midwest Tornado, common disaster of California, the earthquake. Tornado, they've got sirens and they have warnings and they have shelters and still people die. They know what's coming and they see the destructive force of their tornado. Earthquake, well usually what's an earthquake to us? What was that? Did you feel that? You know, it it just comes and it's gone. And even the major ones, you just kind of hang on for a short period of time. I mean, how long... Just spilled water all over my Bible. Um, How long does an earthquake last for? I mean, if it lasts for a minute, that's a long time. But then again, it's gone. Now I know there's aftershocks and all of that. But my point being, sometimes when you have a disaster and you know the disaster is coming, just the knowledge of that and the memories of that can be overwhelming. And so what we see in this prophet is a man who is in mourning, and he's in mourning for the lost, knowing what is going to come into their lives. And so first of all, in verses 1 through 2, we see a man mourning for the lost, and we see how he distinguishes darkness. Verses 1 and 2, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, God's wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Darkness speaks of judgment, but it also speaks of a godless existence. Although he will not personally experience it, he is amongst a godless people. He is amongst the darkness. Matter of fact, the prophet, as he has the word of God, just as we are, he is the light in the midst of darkness. Now, the light understands the darkness, though, although we will not experience as the world will, we see how dark the world can truly become. The prophet, as the people rejected the message, as he lived amongst the people, and then God had shown him the things that are coming, he understood the reality of a godless existence and the damage and the terror that it would bring into the lives of the people. A godless people, void of the glory of God, lost in the darkness. And so he's coming to this understanding. Now the Bible is very clear about this. Darkness is an eternal condition for the lost. And so we extrapolate it from just a dark community, whatever, all the way through to eternity. We're told in Matthew 25, 30, it says, And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the antithesis 
antithesis of that is the light. And the light, well, as far as eternity, it's for the saved. Look at Revelation 22.5. Don't look at it, I'll read it. There shall be no light there. We're talking about eternity with God. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We as the prophet walk in light, but mourn for those who are lost in darkness. So as far as eternity apart from God? Well, first of all, looking at Revelation 22, 5, is what it's talking about is there's no need or sun or stars. Why? Because the glory of God will illuminate our existence. Why is hell out of darkness? Because the glory of God, it's eternity apart from the presence of God. And so the glory of God will not illuminate hell. It'll be outer darkness. Now, you in your childhood, and maybe even to today, darkness there's just something about darkness. There's something fearful about darkness. It's the unknown. Not that, you know, when it comes night, we become afraid. But sometimes, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and it's kind of like, what's that? We were laying in bed the other night and I heard something cracking. I think it was just the house settling, but not sure. Got up, walked through the house. It was darkness and you're just not kind of sure what's around the corner kind of a thing. And so, you know, the darkness, there's just something fearful about darkness. But the light, the light, Well, here, again, the light is the biggest blessing that man could ever experience, being in the presence of God. And so the prophet is understanding that, and it's the darkness that causes him to mourn. Next, one who mourns for the loss will feel the heaviness of the burden. We see that in verse 3. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has turned his hand against me. The idea here is, is that for the prophet, with the attacks that are coming, there's no doubt about that. That's a hardship for him to bear. But really, what causes his burden is just the burden for the lost. Time amongst the lost will cause a continual conviction to minister to their need, which their need is salvation. But the problem with that is there's going to be a remnant, there's maybe even the majority, who will not receive of that salvation. And so God has put a burden upon us to preach the gospel for people that get saved. What's going to happen when people don't get saved? Now again, keep in mind, salvation, that's not up to me. I, I have a part, just a small part, God has called me to deliver his word. But as far as salvation, that's up to the individual and it's up to God. But it can be hard to be the middleman, if you will, because it was up to me. I'd just throw a blanket over everybody and everybody would be saved. But that's not just. God is a just God. And he has made his determination that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we preach the word of God and it is going to break our hearts. It's going to be a burden for those people who are not saved. Remember how Jeremiah could not hold on to God's word. He was overwhelmed, but it burned with inside of them. The Apostle Paul came to the conclusion, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And I can just imagine, once again, nobody's listening to it. Nobody's receiving of it. Why should I bother to do it? Jeremiah, I give up. Jeremiah would say, God, I give up. But he couldn't because it was burning inside him. Because, again, he saw the plight of the people. It's in the face of imminent judgment. God's people need to be prepared with God's word for the purpose of the salvation of souls. Next, one who mourns for the loss will experience the physical effects. Verse 4, he has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. 
This is more of how the lostness of the world affects your mind. It's just, again, this burden that is upon him. And I've been doing some stuff for VBS, and the other day I spent quite a while, most of the day, working on a prop for Vacation Bible School. And I was thinking as I'm in the middle of working, I got here, I don't know, about 8 o'clock, and I was here till about 6, and um, used to do that every day when I was an electrician. You know, I'd get to the job earlier than that and sometimes stay later than that, and it was okay. I'm not the spring chicken I used to be. Bending over was not easy. And, and you know, when I'm on my house, you kind of bend over. If you go down to your knee and maybe the last couple of inches, you're just going to drop to your knee. It doesn't work on the concrete floor back out in the warehouse there. It hurts, actually. And then getting up can be a chore as well. And, and again, it just speaks of the, of the burden of, of old age, just that, that pressure that it can be. Well, that's what he's speaking about here in this judgment that is coming. There's this coming judgment, and these people aren't listening, and they're not receiving, and this has become almost an oppression to him. The prophet feels age because of the knowledge of the coming judgment and also the despair of the people, and there's nothing that he can do about it. We preach the word again, but we cannot force people to receive. And again, he's really feeling this burden. It's become just similar to a burden of old age, not being able to do what you want to do. In 1 Kings 19.4, we saw something similar in Elijah. It says, But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He had just worked this amazing victory on Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal. And I would imagine he was probably pretty excited about the work that God had done and how God had used him. And then all of a sudden he hears just this one, it just takes one little thing. Queen Jezebel says that she's going to take your life by the end of the day. And for some reason that just got the better of him. And he just almost gave up. And again, we can do the same thing. We can see God do mighty things. We can lead people to the Lord. And sometimes it just takes one negative person to drag us down. Just one person that puts this burden upon us that we just don't feel that we can carry anymore. Well, here, Jeremiah, if it's truly Jeremiah, but it's a prophet of the day anyway, as they're speaking God's word and people aren't receiving and they're understanding the judgment that is coming, it's a hard thing for them to bear. Next, one who mourns for the loss will feel like a city under siege, verses 5 through 6. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in the dark places like the dead of long ago. Keep in mind that this is in the form of a poem. The enemy is relentless and the pressure is intense. Just think if you were in a city, just look at this sanctuary, this this building for instance, and we were surrounded by the enemy and the enemy wanted to get in and we had kept him out and understanding sooner or later that enemy is going to come in and they're going to overrun us. Just think of that mindset as you had that to live with and that to think about all that time. Even I was watching, um, I was watching a, uh, a newsreel I guess that's old, but uh, anyway, newsreel. Uh, what was it, the Challenger? Was that the one that blew up when it took off? I don't remember. I think it was the Challenger. Anyway, just wondering if those people, is, you know, the people inside the rocket, you kind of put themselves, yourself in their place, and how long of a time, it couldn't have been more than a few seconds, but did they realize that we're going to die? 
you know, again, just that, that, that despair, understanding what's going to happen. And he says, I feel like a city who is under siege. It's a matter of time before the fall comes. And again, sometimes just thinking about the consequences is worse than even the consequences itself. Next, one who mourns for the loss will feel like a prisoner, seven through nine. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. And again, if this is Jeremiah, it's a good example of his ministry. God has placed this burden upon my heart to teach his word, to preach his word. And if these people follow the word, then God is going to relent of the judgment that is to come upon him. We see that cover to cover in the Bible. But these people are not being receptive of the message. But God, again, impresses upon his heart to preach it. But again, they're not receiving it. What if the work that you've done, whatever field it may be, you just never had any positive results from your job? Just getting up every day and just realizing that today is going to be a failure just like yesterday was. Your boss is kind of foolish. He doesn't fire you. And so you keep coming to work. You get a paycheck, sure. But nonetheless, you want to be productive, but you're just not. And this is where Jeremiah or whoever this prophet is, is. I cry and I shout and I even pray for these people, but it doesn't seem like God is even answering my prayers. He's given me visions, and we've seen that with Jeremiah, that God has given me visions of the destruction that is going to come. The women are going to be with child that are going to be gashed and, and, and just the horridness of it all. And there's just nothing that he's able to do about it. And then lastly, we see a final despair of one who mourns for the loss, verses 10 through 18. He has been to me. Now, again, keep in mind, this is something that is coming down as he's going down the pike, something that is like, well, in this particular first instance, it's like a bear lying in wait, something that as he's moving forward, he's understanding this disaster that is coming. Verse 10, he has been to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. I read an article before church today. There's a game reserve, I don't remember where, but it's in Africa, and there's rhinoceroses there, and these rhinos are protected, and uh, they have poachers that come in and shoot the rhinoceroses, and they want to get the horns, you know, they, they use that for some kind of weird purposes, and so that apparently is worth a lot of money. Well, these two guys, they snuck into the preserve at night, and they were going to go get a rhinoceros, but they didn't realize that lions also live there. And the lions got to the poachers before the poachers got to the rhinos. They went out there. They heard the rhinoceros, I'm sorry, the lions one night. And they just figured, well, lions feed at night, so they're just feeding. Well, they were. But unfortunately, they were feeding upon the poachers. And so if I told you, you need to go from here to the warehouse, but there's a bear or there's a lion in between the two, you'd be scared to death. And again, that's this this disaster that is coming on. He knows it's coming and it's overwhelming him. Verse 11, He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He had made me desolate. He has bent his bow and the idea is pointing a bow at him. What's one of the most frightful things that a human being can do to another? Try this out when you get home. Just find a rubber band and go up to somebody and go... I mean, if you snap somebody with a rubber band, it hurts. But if you shoot somebody with a rubber band, you don't even feel it. But they'll go, dov- they'll go dodging for cover if you do that. Try it out. Just don't tell them I said. 
But this is even so much worse. The idea is that God has a bow that is bent, you know, it's pulled back and it says, and you have set me up as a target for the arrow. Again, this disaster that is coming. Verse 13, he has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all of my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness and he has made me drink wormwood. Wormwood was a poison. It was usually drank in order to cure intestinal worms. And the idea here once again is, you know what? Everybody, everybody's against me. Everybody is contrary to me, Lord. This is not what I thought it would be when you called me into the ministry. Verse 16, he has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace and I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. What verse 18 is, is rock bottom. It's rock bottom. It's those times when the situation can become bigger than your hope in the Lord. It's those times when you just seem so overwhelmed and nobody cares. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hasn't forsaken you, but for whatever reason, he's allowed you to visit that. Now, the reason that God allows you to go down is for the purpose of bringing yourself up. Humble, in a perfect situation, we'll be looking at this on Sunday morning, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, the prophet has gone to a place where he's very much so humbled. It's important for that. It's important to be a humble person, to have a humble spirit. Why? Because we can become full of ourselves. It's so easy. We're the, you're the children of the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can become very arrogant. But we've got to remain humble because it's humble that is going to minister. And it's also when I am humble that God will exalt me. God will lift me up. The world spends so much time exalting themselves and exalting their agendas. And how far is that going to take them? Eternally, not very far. But those whom depend upon the Lord, God will lift us up to new heights. And so, really, verse 18 is when he hits rock bottom. He's going to visit it again, maybe not rock bottom, but again, there's going to be some overwhelming times. But at this, he's understanding that judgment is coming upon my people. Judgment, the the enemy, the nations are coming into Jerusalem and they're going to sack the temple. And this has overwhelmed. The people are going to be taken captive and killed. And this has overwhelmed him. The whole idea is is the suffering that we will have for the lost here in this life will result in the fellowship that we can have together in the next. And so God's got him to a place where the only place that he has to look is up. The Apostle Paul in chapter 7 of Romans, as I pointed out so many times, is dealing with this sinful nature. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I do want to do, I don't always find myself practicing and going through this conflict. Well, one of the conclusions that he comes to is in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says that I consider, for I consider, and you could tell this to this prophet, Jeremiah, whoever it may be, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So if you could talk to the prophet at his verse 18 rock bottom level, hey, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When he says, for I consider that the sufferings, that word can also be translated reckon, and the idea is an accounting term. It means charge to an account. 
and the Apostle Paul has put all the sufferings of this present day on one side of the ledger, and then on the other side of the ledger, he's put the glory that we will experience in heaven for all of eternity. And guess what? A ledger's supposed to balance, and this one's not balancing. This one's not balancing whatsoever. It's high on the... There's an infinite discrepancy with glory being on the high side. And it's that which we have to realize. The things that we experience of this present day, the things we experience in our life today, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that you'll be experiencing for eternity with our God. John MacArthur said, Our suffering is earthly, our glory is heavenly. Our suffering is short, our glory is forever. Our suffering is trivial, our glory is limitless. Our suffering is in our mortal and corrupted bodies, our glory will be in our perfected and imperishable bodies. Oh, how our heart yearns within us. Secondly, we come to the turning point. And the turning point, it always turns at the same point, a confession of faith. When you become overwhelmed with what is going on around you, look to the one who is high above you. What we see here is how our faith and hope in God meets us in the midst of what can be overwhelming. Verses 19 through 33, although I'll start at verses 19 through 21, it says, Remember my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I hope. He's realizing this isn't heaven. This isn't ever going to be heaven. This isn't paradise, and it will never be paradise. Man cannot foster paradise here on this earth. Matter of fact, this earth is defiled by sin to such a degree that at one point in history, God is going to destroy it. He is going to wipe the slate clean, and he is going to start over with a new heaven and a new earth. And so the prophet is reminding, I'm sorry, remembering who God is and who he is, who the prophet is, based upon who God is. Remember who God is and remember who you are based upon who God is. He's Lord God Almighty. He is your Savior. He's our Father in heaven. He is the one who loves you and cares for you. One of the greatest results of learning has to be remembering. The greatest result of learning has to be remembering. Because without remembering, learning is futile. If you can't remember anything that you've ever learned, then what good did the learning do? And so as we're learning who God is and we're learning all of these things of the Word of God, we have to be remembering. And I I think maybe even the greater prayer, rather than God teach me, although you do want God to teach you without a doubt, is Lord, help me to remember these things. And then you can follow up, Lord, help me to do these things as well. When I went into my job, you know, how many times in school, what do I need this stuff for? So you didn't pay attention, and since you didn't pay attention, you didn't really learn, and since you didn't learn, you really didn't remember. But I got into construction, and I saw geometry, it's essential. And some of the stuff I did remember, I had to relearn a lot of things as well. As far as the designs that I did, as far as in construction and all, learning the, the programs that were necessary for my design work, it, it, it was essential, but also to remember it. 
because there was a lot of times when I was a long time in between design jobs as I was working out in the field, and it was essential that I would remember those things in order to make myself efficient. I had to take a class. I I played football in in high school, and they got tired of the football players just hanging around and doing nothing when you were a senior and the football was over, so they made you take more units and real classes, and one of the classes that they made me take was typing, When in the world am I ever going to type? Well, that's what I do pretty much every day, all day long now. And I can type pretty well. I remember the first quarter, semester, whatever it was in typing, I got a D because I just didn't care. My father told me I had better care. And so I did, and I got a C, I think, through it. But the kind of the funny thing about it was is when I got into college, I had to type something out. And this is a couple years later, and I could sit down, and I remembered how to type. I didn't type very well, but I could remember how to type. And so, again, these things that God teaches us, make your part of your prayer be the remembering of these things. Because God says, I'll bring to remembrance the things that are necessary when you give an account of who I am. In Psalm 139, verse 14, <clears throat> excuse me, the psalmist said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I remember very well. Verses 22 through 25, Therefore the Lord's mercies, or I'm sorry, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because of his compassions fell not, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Now remember that the prophet hit rock bottom in verse 18. And now what he's doing is he's revisiting his personal relationship with the Lord. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Remember what mercy is? It's not so much not getting what you deserve. But God's mercy is his expressed love. He expresses his love to you through his mercy. That's one of the means of which he makes that attribute clear within your life. Why? Because his compassions fail not. God will forever be compassionate with his people. They are new every morning. Remember, start over with me. I'll start over with you, the Lord says. And so the idea is every day is a new day. Every day is a fresh opportunity. It doesn't matter what has happened before. With God, all things are possible. Great is your faithfulness. Once again, what is God faithful to? God is faithful to his word. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Hope, trusting in God for the future. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Well, the prophet probably realizes, I'm not waiting for him. I've kind of stepped out in front of him. I need to pull back and come back beside him and wait for him and, and, and not try to dictate to God what is necessary, but submit myself to the will of God. And so the prophet contemplates the Lord and his spirit becomes revived. In faith, he's trusting in God for the day and hope he remembers that his future is secure. Now with this renewed confidence, the prophet will look at five observations concerning suffering. As suffering is around him and suffering is going to be intensified, we see five main things that we can glean here that we can apply to our lives and the lives of others. First, when it comes to suffering, it is patience working with faith and hope that will soothe the person's spirit in the midst of hardship. Patience working with faith, trusting in God for today, and hope 
trusting in God for the future. Verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Just sit and wait. Again, our wait is an active wait. The idea is, is not trying to make things happen. It's not trying to drag people into the kingdom of God. It's not, and again, you can fill in the blank, but it's total dependency upon him realizing that God moves and interacts in all the situations and circumstances of my life. When God tells me to move, I need to move. When God tells me to act, I need to act. When God says to sit tight, I need to sit tight. We just studied this on Sunday mornings, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. I don't have time for patience. I don't like patience, but it's that which, in my life, I have to work at. I don't do well with patience. I got that from my father, and I'm a very impatient person. But God, God is very patient, praise be to him, and that he was patient with me, he was patient with you. He's patient to those people who are lost today. And even in my, the process of my sanctification or discipleship, he's patient with me. He works with me and he strives with me. Secondly, hardship grows us in the disciplines of God's word. Verses 27 through 30. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, the idea is bowing down before God, that there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. Hardship will always be entering in to what God is doing in our life. It's that element of hardship as it enters into what God is doing in our life that causes us to seek him out. Because God will bring hardship into your life that is always just a little bit beyond you. Why? So that you realize the futility of what you're able to do. And what that does is it causes you to cling to the Lord in your relationship. Thirdly, with the Lord, his compassion will always accompany our affliction. God's compassion will always accompany our affliction. Verse 31 through 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he allows grief to come into our lives, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of man. The idea here is is that these things are necessary at times within our life. He's not just afflicting us to afflict us. He's not doing these things just to do them. At times we'll have that mindset, why God, why are you allowing this to happen? But God is compassionate, and he allows these things into our lives, as we saw previously, in order to do a work, in order to accomplish what his will is. Now, just think if you could have perfect patience. Oh, good, I'm having this hardship today. Can't wait to see what God has for me. Well, as you mature, you probably will never get to that point. But as you mature, you'll have a bit of that spirit anyway. The problem is, is that when we come to deal with the hardships of one level that God brings into our life, he'll allow a little bit harder of a ship to enter into our port, if you will. And he allows those things again, because if I've got this life licked and hardship never comes into my life, I guarantee you that my relationship with God will not be as intense as it is when hardship comes in that I have a difficult time dealing with. Fourthly, 
God's punishment is purposeful. Punishment, affliction, hardship, whatever it might be. Punishment is purposeful, verse 34 through 36, to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice to a man before the face of the Most High, or to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. God's got reasons for the things that happen in our life. Paul told us that all things work together for the good, but you're not going to understand all things, and you're not going to understand the good that God is bringing to you, at least not all of the time. And so the things that I have to understand is is that this hardship is purposeful for the will of the Lord to come to pass. Why does war exist? I can't tell you any more than God's got a reason, God's got a purpose for it. The deaths that we experience today, especially the people who we may consider to be good people, why does God allow this to happen? I don't know, but he's got plans and he's got purposes for it. Fifthly, nothing is done apart from the knowledge and will of God. Of course, if all things are working together for his good, then God knows and understands all things are going or working according to his will. All creation operates under God's permission. Verse 37 through 39, Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass? When the Lord has not commanded it, is it not from the mouth of the Most High the woe and well-being perce- that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? And so again, everything is working together for the will of God because of the sinful nature of man and God's plan to bring man into a right relationship with him. So those five things, now continuing on, next we see a call for repentance. So again, in verse 18, the prophet hit rock bottom. Verses 19 through 39, all of a sudden there's a fresh awareness of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the plans of God. But now we see in verses 40 through 47 the necessity to come to that realization and to repent. Verse 40, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Notice he's saying us. He's not saying them. He's understanding because whenever you teach God's word, your sinful nature will be magnified to you as well. Never does the preacher or the prophet, whoever, rise above the people. He's always amongst the people. And so just as he sees their sinful ways, he's firmly aware of his sinful ways as well. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have, over, or you have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the people. All of our enemies have opened their mouth against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. Sin cuts off the mercies of God. It stirs up divine wrath. It severs the communication lines to heaven and ultimately brings humiliation, panic, and ruin. The idea as far as cutting off the communication, unrepentant sin will cause God to not hear our prayer. When that happens, the only prayer that God will hear is the prayer of repentance. And so the only way to counteract What's going on here in these things? The prophet has come to this understanding. These people must be brought to the place of repentance. What is real repentance all about? First of all, it's always about approaching God according to his mercy. 
Because if you don't come to the realization that God is merciful and even gracious, you're like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. It's the realization of the mercy of God, so you have that freedom to approach God. It's to confess your sin. Confessing on sin, just simply you going on record that you're a sinner and you have sin. It's to appeal for a cleansing, praying that God, that Lord, you would forgive me of my sins. And then lastly, it's that desire for an inward renewal. Not only would you forgive me of my sins, Lord, but you would change me and you would mold me into the person that you would have me be. Verses 48 through 54, we see a personal suffering, even though verse 18 was the low point. Verses 19 through 39 was a change here. He still, his heart still suffers for the people, still suffers for the lost. Verse 48 through 54, my eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Never should you cease hurting for the lost. Verse 49, my eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head, and I said, I am cut off. More than likely, again, if it's Jeremiah, we could look at Jeremiah's life. But if they rejected Jeremiah for preaching the truth, they would reject any other prophet that existed that was preaching God's word who, who, who spoke the truth as well. And again, these things, these things we can see in our lives also. Your heart will break for the lost, but the lost, it will not, their hearts will not necessarily break for you. And then lastly, we see a personal prayer for deliverance, verses 55 through 66. I called your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. Keep in mind, Jeremiah, that time he was cast into the mire, into that pit, basically a sewer. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sign and from my cry from help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wrong. Judge my case, for you have seen all their vengeance, all of their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me. The lips of my enemies and their whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart or a heart that mourns. Your curse be upon them, and your anger pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Lord, just kill them all. You probably have paid or prayed that prayer, at least desired to at times. It's not that the prophet here is cast off the unbeliever, but what he's praying for here is just simple justice that justice would come to pass, that those who are deserving of judgment, and God makes that determination, not us, but that they would receive judgment. And again, if there is no judgment, there was some well-known preacher that just preached that hell was a fallacy, that hell doesn't really exist. If hell doesn't exist, and eternal judgment does not exist, then there's no such thing as grace. The only reason that grace exists is because judgment exists. And it's because judgment exists that we see the grace of God and we are attracted to God. If there's no judgment, then why even bother to have a relationship with God today? He's just going to take me anyway. Why even bother to live a holy life? Why would I not live a life for the flesh? 
Why would I not eat, drink, and be married today? For tomorrow we die, but even though I'm dying, I'm still going to heaven. So it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Well, the reason is, is because there is a judgment. And there is the reality of judgment. Because, Paul said, of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And the first person that you need to persuade to present the gospel in a manner in which they're able to accept it and digest it and accept it is yourself. And once you've received of it, and then you minister to others. And when do you stop? We never, we do pray the prayer for God's justice, but never do we pray that any person would be condemned. We pray for their salvation without a doubt. And the only time I ever stop is when I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. We have a great picture of that here in this particular chapter. Father, I pray that you would make us to be a people who see the, the lost, to see those who are unsaved, and that we would have a heart that would mourn for them. And that mourning, Lord, would be that which would motivate us. And, and Lord, just to see your word go out and to see, Father, people come into your kingdom through a right relationship. Back in Jeremiah's day, the people paid no heed. We saw not one person come to a right relationship with God during his time. But he just did what you told him to do, Lord. And, Father, he was accounted faithful. I pray, Lord, that we would not be so caught up in the results. But, Father, we would be a people who are faithful. And, Lord, we would see you do just simply a great work. I pray for the born-again believers that are in this room right now that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, and you would motivate us and use us in amazing ways. I pray for those, Father, who, who maybe examine their lives in the light of your word today and realize there's elements of darkness here. There, there, there's some things in my life that, well, I'm no different than those people who were deserving of judgment. And so I'm just going to give this opportunity as, as, as the prophet hit rock bottom. But the turning point is the remembrance of faith in God. I pray that your faith would be either you would come to faith or your faith would be renewed even right now. Your trust in God, both for today and the future. Is there anybody here who needs to make a, a decision, who, who needs to come to Christ? If you do, it's something that you do between him and you, but raise your hand and allow me to pray for you. Is there anybody here whatsoever tonight? As always, if you're in the overflow, you can raise your hand there. But is there anybody here tonight? You just need prayer along these lines. Anybody at all? If you're watching this on the internet, you can do this in your own home. Father, it's you who knows the hands that have gone up, maybe wherever it'll be, or need to go up, but nonetheless, I pray that you would meet your people in a very real and compassionate manner, that we would understand, again, the sufferings of this day do not compare with eternity in you. And so, Father, you have reasons and purposes in the sufferings that we have. The biggest one is, is to get our attention and to bring it back to where it needs to be. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless your word. I pray, Father, in the manner which, in the context to which you have talked to each person here tonight, every person who is heard this message. I pray that we would be receptive, and Father, we would be obedient. So we just looked all to you once again, thanking you, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? <clears throat> Next Saturday, a week 
from this Saturday, not this coming Saturday, but this week from this Saturday, we're having our vacation Bible school work day. That's the day that we're going to finalize the stage and get all of that set up. We have an entryway to do. We got stuff to hang, and there's always a bunch of stuff to do. The warehouse to get that ready for the kids to go back there. And so if you're able to come and give us a hand, it would be appreciated. We're usually here from 9 o'clock and to whatever you're able to give. So we're going to be here at at 9 and and move on from there. So if there's anybody that's able to help, we'd appreciate your help. If you've signed up for Vacation Bible School and you've yet to be contacted, you will be contacted this week as well. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, Yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, never once did you leave us on our own, you are faithful, God, you are faithful, kneeling on this battleground. Seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. Never once did we ever walk alone, never once did you on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, carried by your constant grace. Held within your perfect peace Never once till we ever walk alone Never once did we ever walk alone Never once did you leave us on our own You are faithful, God, you are faithful Every step we are breathing grace. Evermore we'll be breathing out your praise. You 
have a faithful God. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.